world. This is Jared Deal. Thank you for listening to the Louder Now podcast. This is the first episode, man. This feels rough. <laughs> yeah. We came a little unprepared. No, it's okay. Um, but, you know, how prepared are you for lots of things in life? You just do your best and then you just go, right? I feel like that's what we're doing. We're just running. I really like the verse that's in this room right now. I'm digging. I'm digging here. You are the light of the world. Yeah, Megan put that up there. Oh, Megan put that up. Yeah. Girls are so smart. You know, Sam's got Rose, you got Megan. I really got nobody, but. I mean, if we're just talking about, look, I mean, look, when Casey and I moved into this house three years ago, we both had girlfriends, okay? And our girlfriends were friends with each other. And now, and now the roles have reversed. Not the gender roles, but just the roles. So what do you want this podcast to be about? Dude, I, well, the cliche thing to say is I want this podcast to be about my life, which anybody who's doing any podcast, it has to be somewhat about their own life and experience. But, um, yeah, I've had a lot of years dealing with, um, besides, I guess, being a Christian and, and loving Jesus through all of life and getting older with that, I've been, uh, what am I trying to say? Focusing on wanting to talk about mental health issues, which is very broad in and of itself, depression, anxiety, bipolar, all things that I've dealt with and I'm still dealing with. And, um, kind of like the good, bad, the ugly, the hopeful, the, Kind of just everything to do with that topic is really what I want to try to try to focus on, and I know some other things will kind of come out of that as well. But well, what um, I know you want to share a major life event, but I had a question. Yeah. Before you had that major life event, which we'll talk about later, what what were what was kind of the the rhythm of your life, and why do you think you found yourself in that place? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, yeah, I think the major life event was 2012, and I had what I call like the worst of my depressive episodes. So I guess I'll do the the before question, which was what was my life like before that happened? Um was living in Kansas City and I was kind of coming to the end of a real long like season of life where I was in Kansas City for about eight years and I knew it was kind of coming to an end at the time I was let's see 26 years old and um, I was definitely in a time of like trying to really figure a lot of things out like all kind of at once like hey should I stay here should I move 
I was thinking about going to film school. That was one thing I was trying to figure out. I was thinking about moving to Orlando and like going to film school. So I guess to try to answer the question, like, yeah, I was <laughs> transition and change was about to happen, but I didn't know um, what that change was about to be. And then I started spiraling into an episode. And so it forced me to start dealing with that. And that Did you think much about depression. Well, yeah. What do you mean? Like, was I struggling with depression? Is that what you mean? Were you struggling with depression in a way that you identified it as depression? Yeah, I don't think I was identifying it as that. And I think that was a contributor to the episode, was that I wasn't aware that I was living in a imbalanced place. And... That's a really important question to ask, actually, because the other thing was that part of the reason why the episode happened was because I was like getting off of all of my medication, which in and of itself was sort of a denial of of the problem. So I think I was having a hard time identifying depression and anxiety. When did you start taking medication? So 2007, when I was about 21, 22, is when I had my first episode, and that's when I started, uh, I mean, that's when I got a diagnosis and I started taking medicine. So that's like, how long ago was that? 11 years ago? 11 and a half, I mean, already it's 2019. So I just turned 33, and my first episode was, was like October. My birthday's in November, so it was pretty much like, my 22nd birthday pretty much like a month before that so now so you started taking medication in 2007 and then it was a 2012 you said you had the yeah well i had one episode 2007 then it kind of happened again like exactly a year later and then i got kind of like remedicated and on medication again and then i had four years of not having an episode and doing pretty good but then, um, but then I started to essentially what happened was I was like taking too much stuff, like too much medication and too much of a, like what they call like a, you know, where you take two or three medicines at once, like a cocktail is what they would call it. Not to be confused with alcohol. So I had about four years where I was fine. Then I kind of went extreme and I think it was kind of good for me to get off of a couple of things, but I kind of did that without like the support of a doctor. I kind of did it on my own. And then I had about a year where I was okay, but then I, what I was, I felt like I was okay. And then, then that triggered me having an episode w with other things too. And that was the end of 2012. It was like November, right before my, I turned 27. So, so yeah, I, when I look back at it, I mean, I definitely struggled the most in the first five or six years of this whole thing, partly because of a lot of issues, like not fully accepting it, and then also kind of just like the medicine side of things, not... Before before you talk about yeah. the, the big life event, which we've kind of hinted at, yeah, and uh, we're leading up to, 
I have one more question about like before that time. Okay. And um, so you're 2007, you get diagnosed with um, certain certain uh, I don't know exactly depression bipolar bipolar bipolar, and uh, living before that do you can you look back at that time before you're prescribed these medications where you can identify oh that's where bipolar was affecting my life yeah yes I mean many instances where um, I mean to just simplify the answer yeah for sure like I think you know, and obviously this is like with the help of like my parents and like family where it's like, Hey, I think you've kind of always been this, but for sure there was a lot of instability in my childhood and in my teenage years. And to some extent, even like the three years I was in Kansas city before this had happened, you know, there was, it was very bipolar too. (laughs) So, um, I, it's obviously I think easier to identify as time has gone on where you look back and you go, Oh wow, I really did kind of have these, but I don't, but I think when I was in high school, I didn't, I did not, I did identify, I think with some elements of depression. I did identify with like, wow, I do kind of have like uh, one second. I feel like I'm, I'm like on top of the world and I'm like the center of attention and everybody loves me. And then, whenever I would feel lots of pain and sadness, it would be like a, a a long, it wouldn't just be for like a couple of hours or something. I would feel like I'd be like in it. And, but I, so yeah, if that answers the question a little bit, like, yes, for sure. I did identify it. How, how long did those depressive episodes last for? Well, yeah. I mean, I can only think of one really specific example where I had like a few months when I was like 16 where I was like really depressed and um, that would, you know, I I would say I could have like maybe a week or two or it'd be like a real big low and then maybe another couple of months of feeling okay. And then so short amounts of time, I never would have, I never identified as like, Oh, I'm six months. I feel depressed. And then six months I feel, I think because I was so, um, socially like active all of the time that I, I didn't the way well right for me it, w- it wasn't really pure isolation I think it was more which just makes way more sense to me now I think it was more of a like an isolation or a loneliness in my head you know like in my mind like I'm almost like living in another place even though I'm around people which to some extent, I think every human being can identify with that, like whether you have a diagnosis or not. Like, um, so now getting to uh, 2012, it's a story that you've told uh, me personally. Yeah, for sure. And uh, recently to the junior high. Yeah, uh, Claremont High School. I did get to speak, and um, that was kind of a summary of of. Uh, yeah, that was a very condensed version of a of to to some extent the last eleven years, but yeah, that was the condensed version of yes. Mm. And would you like to talk about any of that now? Yeah, well, are you, you well the Claremont event in and of itself? Or are you talking about me talking about the main? Well, maybe we can talk about we can talk about the Claremont event because um, yeah. I actually think after maybe you tell your story. 
Because yeah. I think this is a really significant turning point for you. Yeah, And sure. I don't know if it goes immediately up after that, but it... Well, it does, yeah, it is, kind of. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about how you find yourself... Uh, how... Mm, I don't know how to phrase this, but like... Not how you find yourself going up, but what do you do proactively to keep going... Uh, yeah, uh, but, yeah. But I think knowing people understanding what happened to you in, in 2012 will help. I mean, 2012, November 2012 is when the episode started. And um, I had never had any experience with going to a hospital. So one of the first things that happened in that time was I actually did go to a psych hospital and in Kansas City. And so initially I started to get kind of like snap out of the episode after a couple of weeks and I guess the definition of an episode for people listening is where both the symptoms of um, bipolar which would be like mania and depression are are I want to say in a state of like very hard to control so like for me, Manny, the manic side would be that I wouldn't sleep. But the reason why I wouldn't be sleeping is because of my mind racing. And so it's like you're losing sleep because you can't shut your mind down by yourself. So something is, is very imbalanced in you. You feel like you're having like a panic attack constantly. It's it's awful. It's a horrible feeling. And it's kind of that flight or flight response where... You're like, oh, I don't. You don't sleep one night, and then you just think, oh, what if I don't sleep tonight? And then every time you try to go to sleep, you're just worried that you're not gonna sleep, and then it just kind of gets worse and worse. So I, I had had these experiences before where I, where I, I wouldn't sleep, and then eventually I would, with medicine, be able to get to a place where I'd be sleeping and I'd, it would be more manageable. But in the third episode, it just never got to a point where I was able to manage it. And it just went from one month to two months to then moving back to California and just living with me and my mom. And so long story short, that episode lasted eight total months. And the, the reason why it was so long was because um, I was kind of sleeping, kind of not sleeping, but I had this very... Um, I had suicidal thoughts going like every single day where I just was fighting this this really intense depression though it still felt like it was like manic like I could it just like was this constant like I couldn't get these thoughts out of my head and I guess long story short I, I had never even tried to even attempt to suicide like to even try like to try to however you want to say it. Um, and I think how we say it is important, but like I tried to overdose myself with pills a couple of different times and it wasn't that extreme. So I was in and out of the psych places. And then the climax was, um, May, 2013. So here we are, this is like, I think the eight month mark. Um, I just tried to, my, my mom was a flight attendant at the time she left me home alone, not like it was bad that she left, but she went on a trip because she thought it was like doing better. And um, I knew she was coming home at night at like 10 p.m. And I, I, but I just, it was very extreme. I took like all of the pills that I had and I tried cutting my, 
wrist and um the, the, and you know the next thing i know i mean my mom finds me and thinks i'm dead in her apartment and you know if she hadn't come home when she came home you know yeah i would have probably died and i got rushed to the hospital and i was in a coma and i stayed in the coma for like 3 days and you know at this point i had a bunch of my friends from kansas city fly out to see like made their way to california and yeah i had a bunch of people praying for me and kind of like the the moment like the moment moment was i had a, a local church in pomona that prayed and like the day that they prayed for me for i guess they prayed from like 8 a.m to noon and then that afternoon i like came out of the coma and the two things that they had told yeah the, the two things that i had told my family was like hey you know and i think this is probably g general of anybody in a coma hey we don't know when this person's going to come out of a coma i don't think doctors ever know like oh you might come out today or you might come out three months from now um and they're like so you might never come out of this or if he does come out like you could have permanent brain damage which that makes sense based on all of the you know, poison that you're putting yourself with the, the pills. So when I came out of the coma, I mean, I remembered, um, you know, lots of people have asked me like, were you in a, <laughs> were you in like a different world? What was it like? Yeah. I was, uh, floating in between heaven and hell. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, none of that happened, but I do, you know, when I woke up, I did remember everything and I was like, wow, how, how am I here? And, um, I saw my nephew and my mom and my family and, and I couldn't talk for like probably an hour cause they had all this stuff in me. And, um, so, so that's, that obviously was the worst, darkest, you know, time of life. And that was definitely the most intense moment of feeling like, wow, I really, you know, it's one thing to have the thoughts and it's another thing to really, try and i mean i think kind of statistically men are a little bit more inclined to you know i think it's like kind of like women can struggle with depression in a different more intense way because obviously women and men are different i think women deal with hormones you know with having kids so maybe it's more intense for them but men tend to be more doers and take action so we tend to be more like you know, if we're going to try to commit suicide, we just, we have more of a tendency to try, like, and take action, you know, and, and I think it's, um, I never would have thought, and, and, and this is what I say when I tell the story, I never would have thought I would have ever even, like, you know, it's one thing to be in depression, and it's another thing to, like, the second layer is then to even have the temp, the tempting thoughts of suicide, like, that's, but then, acting on it is is the closest you can get to really actually you know what people would say like a successful suicide even though we don't really want to say it like that um so things did to giving you a really long answer but this is a huge part of the story is things did get better after that like then i well, i ended up going to the hospital for uh or staying I mean, I stayed in that emergency room for like seven days and then um, I ended up going to two different psych hospitals for a total of five months 
So it was like a five month recovery. And it was still, I mean, the first month was still harder and I was still kind of, I definitely wasn't like suicidal. I wasn't like, oh, I wish I, that would have worked, but I was still having a hard time. And I remember at about like the 30 day mark of kind of getting, um, at least on the medicine side of things, I had this really good doctor who kind of was like, I can't believe you've never tried this and this. And, and his recommendation ended up really being right. And, um, uh, I started to definitely come out of it and get back to normal. And so what, um, so now it's, um, almost six years later. Yeah. And what would you say if you could put it in like, you know, you don't have to make some exact list, but I'm just curious, like, what are like the top three things that you that you do or that you find in your life that bring you um, success coming out of I think creativity is is a huge would be number one I mean maybe not number one but creativity would be one of the three things and I think it's it's more of a the desire to help people with this. Um, because I think the desire to want to inspire people, you know, with preaching and just with my life and with art, those does that desire was there before this happened or before I struggled with depression. Like that was something that was there from, you know, kind of like before I formed you in your, your mother's womb, like kind of thing. Like I just have always had this, this strong, like love for people and, um, so that so number one would be I think that a desire to really help people um, in general, but also help people with with mental health through these different avenues of podcast and and creativity. That's a huge one, and um, I think the other one. I mean, I think another huge one is just learning how to um, be present in the world and um, really doing things that I really like to do instead of maybe feeling like doing things I should be doing. And I think some of that comes from probably some religious influence, like, oh, I should be more spiritual or whatever. I mean, my job in the last three years has been a huge therapeutic thing of getting to travel and meeting people from all walks of life. And even within that context, having talks about depression. Um, and uh, What would you say the number one... Because you read a lot of books. Well, yeah, I try to, yeah. <laughs> I do start a lot of books. New Year's resolution is to start finishing stuff. But what, what would you say the, the biggest book um, has, has been? Or do you think there's been a book? Yeah, there's been a few. I mean, East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I started reading when I started coming out of the depression in the, in the hospital in 2013 when I started... Like my, I started reading a ton of stuff, but my, my friend Nick at Fuller, he, he's like, dude, you should read this book. He's like, I think you would really like this. I mean, it's like a gnarly, I mean, it's like a 600 page like novel. And I never really read novels before. And East of Eden definitely is on the top five most impactful books, I think of all yeah, time. Mine, for me. Mine too. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of depression and suicide in that book and a lot of brokenness, um, 
um, I feel like The Millionaire Messenger is another book that has impacted me a lot that is about um, taking something that you really are interested in, like mental health or depression, and really becoming like an expert in it and then sort of recreating that message. That, that's just been more of a practical book. That's what was that one called? It's called The Millionaire Messenger by Brendan Burchard. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's in kind of the self-help, it's kind of in like the entrepreneurial business category. It's really, really good though. Um, man, dude, Making Ideas Happen is probably one of the most impactful books just about Scott Belsky. He's like a... M- MBA from Harvard and that book's just about like just f- doing the stuff probably linchpin is up there too same thing kind of like hey you have these desires you have these gifts you have a tendency probably to like start more things than you finish which Will just alluded to that I've started a lot of books <laughs> since he well, lives I mean, so do I. yeah but yeah I mean but really it's like you can't use your creativity as an excuse to not be creative that's kind of the idea of the artist, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to like live in the reputation of the flaky artist and never finish anything because that's just my personality. And it's like that is a very rare type of person that actually would be able to pull that off, that actually would be successful. It's like that's like one in every like millionth person can really do that. But the rest of us are almost like we have to work hard at our um, at our craft. You got to work on your stuff. So. There was a, I took a... Um christianity and the creative process class and there was a book um written by this female dancer in new york who um really she had that opinion it's like every every day whether i want to dance or not i go into the studio and i start thinking of a routine and creating something from there and you know it's like without that she you know she, she feels that she probably wouldn't have been as successful as she was. I wish I could remember the name or the title of the book. Yeah, it's kind of the combination of ethic mixed in with, like, the the gift. And, like, even if you have the gift, hard work really irons out certain... I think naturally I can speak pretty well and articulate, but I feel like i got to work out all of this stuff. Like, oh, I have to practice, you know. So listening to yourself talk helps. So I'm going to go back and listen to all of this. 